This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody, Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins, Scoop Duck in Hi Fi, or I really should call it Poop Duck in Hi Fi. Just to get that out of the way. I love that tweet. <laughs> I, I know it's silly, I know it's immature. I, I was being sarcastic. Beaver fan, you got to come up with something more creative to diss this guy, J Hop, but. Poop duck made me chuckle. Yeah, no, I mean it's you know when you're in uh, grade school, middle school, and you know you you hear whatever people want to make fun of you for. It's like, dude, I you know I mean original. How many times have you heard that? Uh, I mean I've seen it on Twitter several times and stuff like that. <laughs> it's I mean it's you know fine. Whatever. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's, <clears throat> I I have no problem laughing and having a good time about it. But uh, but yeah, it's it's funny. But again. Like, let's be a little creative. It's like when people call me short. Well, no shit, I'm short. Right. I've been short my whole life. Yeah. That's not going to change. Yeah, come on. I mean, you know, find something that actually, you know, might make a difference. Like yeah. I'm losing my hair or something. Yeah. Everybody has that one thing with their name. <laughs> like, I can't count. Everybody calls me Bags. It's right. Like the, the, the nickname everybody reaches for. Yeah. I've never had to tell anybody. I've never had to put a neon sign out there. It's just always been there. Yeah. Or J-Hop for me. I mean, right. yeah, right. people just have done that. Low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, other thing I saw on Twitter this week, and it's easy for me to say because I'm not you. I, I don't have to worry about you know keeping the bridges from getting burned and saving sure. relationships. All the people that take your Devin Williams report <laughs> and, and run with it out there, or right. all the people in media here in Oregon that were a little mad that you got that Devin Williams story. Right. And so, you know, I was... I guess here's the deal. It's not uncommon for me to get the scoop and nine out of 10 times I usually have it and I post it on my site and I don't tweet and promote it out. And I'm pretty careful about stuff. I know that, you know, I know what's sensitive. I know, uh, you know, I know when I've got some juice or scoop that not everyone else has, you know, so I'm really careful about how I word it on the site. I'm really careful, you know, all those things. Obviously, somebody decided, hey, I'm going to take this one and put it out for the world yeah. to see for free. And obviously, I, I don't know and, whose burner account did that. Right. But, and, yeah. and and tagged every media member in, in Oregon to get the fire going, <laughs> you know, and it's it's just it's funny because people. So, man, you you know, you had that Devin Williams. Good. Like, I mean, it's not the first thing I've been on the jump. on. I mean, you know, I can go down the list. I just right. don't go out and promote it. So. You know, maybe that's the stuff that would help me grow doing that if I did it every time, but I don't. I, I try and service my existing members first, the people that pay. There's a reason they pay to read what we do, uh, you know, and so I I try to cater to that. I don't – I do see a lot of people that haven't figured out that Twitter's never going to send you any money for breaking news. You're never going to get really? – yeah, I mean, it's a novel concept, right? <laughs> They're not going to write you a check because you broke the Devin Williams news. They're not going to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, I, I, the way I earn my money is, 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 is feeding information to my members, which is what I do first and foremost. I see a lot of guys out there that, 
you just want to put it out to the masses and prove that they were first. And that's not, I mean, that's not me. I mean, everybody knew who was first this time. I didn't have to go around and tell everybody I was first. You know, they were kind of like, oh, shit, maybe he wasn't crazy. The, what I what I saw is everybody telling everybody that you were first. Right. That's what made me laugh. Maybe of, maybe he's not the huge duck homer after all. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I could bash all those guys for eternity, but I'm not going to do that. Don't this need to. not a platform nope. for it. Nope. Don't need to. Um, Now that the dust has settled on yeah. that Devin Williams story, what's yep. your thoughts? Just such an interesting recruitment, and I think uh, I know one of your things. I say you kind of put just take Devin Williams, the Devin Williams that we know from recruiting a couple years ago to now, and kind of put him in a vacuum. And I really think that that particular recruitment really publicly shows you how difficult this process can be for young men. And I don't say that lightly. You know, I I think I think I. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to uh, are going to bash Devin Williams because he left USC. A lot of people are going to bash Devin Williams because of how things happen with Oregon State. That whole Oregon State thing wasn't his fault. I mean, that was right. You know, I, I put this on the board and I didn't put this out. I know a lot of people have put wrong information about it, but that was a play by Oregon State to kind of pigeonhole Devin Williams thinking he was locked in with Oregon State. Right. When in all reality, he wasn't. Now, again, another Another hot take was, you know, Oregon State messed up. Well, that wasn't accurate. They made a play. It didn't work out. The other hot take is they, you know, uh, created some violations by putting him out there. That's also not true. They're a lot more careful than that. So they just thought they had the cat in the bag. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, they they, felt that they'd done enough that it was locked in and not going anywhere. Hey, let's let's really. And I think that was that was the main thing is let's put it out there so that maybe Devin Williams thinks it's a done deal. Like, hey, we got him. And I know there was some pressure to go there, but I think removing all that, all that aside, you just you take Devin Williams. Everybody thinks he's going to Oregon, myself included, and he picks USC at the twelfth hour. Um, you know, it's not that hard to imagine, but it was one of those things where, I mean, shoot, even right away there was a lot of wondering if he'd end up going to USC just because it seemed like such a spur of the moment decision based on what we knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, after a couple of years, he realized that wasn't where he wanted to be. Enters the portal. Uh, obviously Oregon's, you know, very, very much involved from the get go. You know, Oregon state is also involved because of the quarter system, Oregon and Oregon state, both on the quarter system that matched up with what he was doing at that point of a transfer time with there's an academic calendar. So right. you, you, you have to be academically eligible to play football. I know that that's foreign to some people, but it actually, it actually matters. You, you do have to do your academics. So in order for him to remain academically eligible for next year, we're looking a year out, he needed to get in right away, quarter system fit. That's why Oregon and Oregon State were instantly in the boat. Wanted to be at Oregon. Um, wanted to be at Oregon from the start. I know that when he signed with the USC, he wasn't happy with the, the decision, but moved forward anyways. Oregon moved forward. Um, and again, I don't fault the kid. He's still right. probably 19, 20 years old. I don't know his exact age right now, but he's young. I can only imagine – you know, me making a decision like that at that age and, and then having it very much public on social media platforms all over with tons of media people swirling around you. I, I just, it's a lot to go through. It's a lot to process. And uh, I guess at this point, he's at Oregon. Hopefully he's able to put his best foot forward. And uh, I know that the Oregon coaching staff's extremely, extremely excited to have him there. I felt really bad for the kid yeah. when I read your story last week. Of it, it felt like his heart 
went in one direction. Yeah. Family and friends were, were pulling in a lot of other directions. And then you get social media and the, the storm of Duck fans and Beaver fans right. and USC fans. Right. And everybody just kind of ripping at him yep. on each limb. And it's just not fair. No. Well, like you said, he's a young kid. He's trying to figure out his way. And I, I think that the big winners out of this compliance people like yeah. i don't know if you've ever spoken to jody sykes i do and, not uh, want that job yeah. ever that's a ever. hard job ever that's, i'd rather be an accountant than being a compliance person ooh, and i ooh. don't want to be an accountant trust that's me that's hell on earth <laughs> yeah. man um ducks compliance i've yeah. listened to them before the uh the ducks compliance staff have done interviews on duck insider which i've, I've always boasted about i love that show um they are the smartest people at oregon yeah of just knowing Every in and out of the rules and knowing exactly whether they had some room for Devin Williams. And that's the thing. You're you're more than knowing what the actual. OK, you do have to know the rules first and foremost, of course. Knowing what the rules are is only one part of the battle. Figuring out how to circumvent those rules because everyone else is doing it is where you make your money. Yeah. Identifying that gray area, which there's a ton of gray area. When it comes to the NCAA and the rule book and transfers and all this other stuff and scholarships and, you know, it's funny. I just, you know, you know, I know you did too. You read post after post on the message board. Well, he should be able to do this. Like, I know what you guys are trying to say. You guys right. are looking at some raw numbers. These and, people have master's degrees. Yeah, I mean, they, like these guys do nothing but sit here and look at what other schools have done. Look at the rule book. Look at, you know, just that's their job. So just right. imagine for 10, 12 hours a day, because these people don't work for eight hours like normal people. They work all day. You know, that's your job. Just And, you know, and, and not to mention. As as we, you know, I'll say this, you know, as much as we know that Mario Cristobal might be a bit of a micromanager when you're talking about something like this, you know, he's breathing down their necks. Yeah, there's no room oh, yeah. for error here. And that's not a that's not to pick on Cristobal. That's really just to show you that. If you held this job and your job was looking at all these different rules and, and this and that and knowing that your boss, the CEO, was standing right behind you the whole time pushing your butt, you know, you it's it's so again, I know that a lot of people went and were looking at rulings and rule books and all that stuff. And and, and kudos to, to all of you for taking the time to do that. And but again, at the end of the day, if you think you're gonna come up with something that the University of Oregon or Oregon State University hasn't come up with or looked at or knows about. I mean, just go pick me the winning lottery numbers then. Right, right. Yeah, I, I could really use your help in Keno this week. <laughs> uh, Ducks compliance, they come out the MVP in this. Ducks yeah. snag a wideout who could could really thrive next fall. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit more in the pod. But sure. right now, we got Dane Brugler. Yeah, I'm super excited. So, you know, at this point, I don't, you know, we don't have a game to talk about. I mean, we could talk about games that played last weekend, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be involving Oregon. So yeah. what good would that do? The Ducks, Ducks won. <laughs> the Ducks won. The Ducks yeah. were unbeaten last week. Yep. No injuries. No further injuries. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, with, with with not having a game to talk about, I, it's a great time on this podcast to maybe talk about some of the NFL hopefuls. Maybe what these guys are seeing, you know, what 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 do you see from Justin Herbert? Has he progressed? Has he regressed in areas? You know, are there some guys that maybe we aren't talking about that, you know, NFL scouts are chatting up a little bit more? So it's great to bring Dane Brugler uh, of The Athletic on. That's his job. That's what he does. He's very good at it. Um, one of the guys I follow and read, uh, I don't want to say daily, but, but at least weekly, um, you know, love his stuff and love his insight. So 
I think it'd be great to bring him on, talk about those guys for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and just kind of see where we're at. You know, a lot of the, the stories we were doing were kind of, you know, the quarter report. We were doing quarter reports the last week on, on Scoop Duck. And I think that's kind of what we would get. We'll get from Dane today is kind of a, a quarter report. And this is going to be about the time. I need to say this tongue in cheek. This is about the time where there might be a few players maybe that are on the bubble of where they potentially could go in NFL that start to think a little bit more seriously about that decision. Right. It doesn't mean a decision happens tomorrow. It merely means that you've kind of got a, that attention's kind of burning a little bit. It's coming higher. The corners. Yeah. And yeah, yep, yeah. we can get that back cat out of the bag. You, you got, you're going to have to start assessing things a little bit differently. And your, your next few weeks of play are going to be a big indicator of that, in my opinion. So uh, especially as you go through that tough part of the conference play, Washington, USC, uh, you know, you got some tough games. Cal this weekend. Cal, I don't care if Cal doesn't have Garbers. They're still going to be tough. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. But, yeah. That's going to be a good game. And yeah. like you said, you're two weeks away from the meteor schedule. Yeah. So yeah, it's, we it's, get to learn about these guys and their draft prospects and Dane's an expert on all he's that. an expert on all that and we'll get an unbiased opinion on where some of these Oregon guys are at so let's get Dane on the on the horn here and see what he's got to say Dane Brugler from the athletic joining us right now at DP Brugler on Twitter he's an expert on the NFL draft and uh, someone that today thinking about the ducks thinking about what some of these ducks can do on draft day this spring uh, thinking about where these guys can grow. I think Dane has a few answers there and some insights that'll come in handy for us. Uh, Dane, let's start with the obvious. Duck fans are obsessed with Justin Herbert and the idea that he might be a, a number one overall pick when things are all said and done. Have you seen enough from Herbert to justify that? Uh, you know, I think the, the conversation with Justin Herbert, uh, it's, it remains more about uh, the physical traits and then just the overall potential. Um, but, I mean, you have to look at what he's done this year so far in four games, and you see progress. Uh, he's thrown for at least 70% completion in every single game. Uh, you know, his, it, 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 he's never done that before in four straight games. I don't think he's done it in three straight games before in his career. So it's, it's a good thing to see that 14-0 to touchdown-interception ratio. So he's doing a nice job, but at the same time, we also have to look at the caliber of opponent. Um, you know, you look at Nevada, Montana, Stanford is not what you, we usually, uh, you know, when we think of Stanford, they're just not on that level this season. Um, so, you know, I think this weekend actually with against Cal is going to be a, a great barometer because Cal has arguably the best secondary, uh, you know, west of uh, Mississippi and, you know, they're going to have, they're going to play lockdown coverage on the outside. They're going to play press, bump and run. Uh, really force Herbert to find those open zones, push the ball downfield. And, there, I mean, there's no question that conservative play calling has played a part in the higher completion percentage uh, this year. Uh, he hasn't had to make as many downfield throws. Uh, you know, we saw that in the Auburn game. And, you know, part of that is, you know, it's just it's smart play calling because you would probably say that the wide receiver group is, if you had to pick a weakness on the offense, it's probably the wide receiver's. Uh, so, you know, it, it's understandable what the game plan is from an offensive standpoint, but from a scouting perspective, um, I, I still think he has room to grow, uh, but you have to be, you have to feel optimistic and there's going to be no consensus top quarterback this year. Some, some teams are going to love Tua. Some teams don't like Tua. Uh, they're not as high on him because, uh, you know, he doesn't fit some of the things they're looking for. Not every team's looking for a lefty 
at the quarterback position. Not every team is okay with a six foot tall quarterback with uh, you know good, not great arm strength. Uh, and you know some teams really like Jordan Love from Utah State, but there will be some teams that prefer Justin Herbert and all the upside that he brings and everything that he's grown so far. I mean, if you're going to have a quarterback on paper, Justin Herbert's what you want with the size. I mean, he's legit. 6'6", 240, uh, you know, he's a very smart guy on and off the field, characters, Sterling, uh, he's a good athlete for that size. Uh, you know, does he need to improve the consistency? But no question. Uh, I mean, I think even Justin would, you know, say that is something where he needs to improve and get better this year. And I say so far so good, but this Saturday and then the rest of the season, uh, you know, each game is like an audition for him. And so uh, against a really good secondary this weekend in Cal, That'll be really important for him in front of scouts. Uh, without asking you to burn your sources, Dane, who do you think likes Justin Herbert? You know, it's hard to say because I I mainly talk with scouts, and at the end of the day, scouts aren't making the picks. You know, okay. uh, it, that comes down to general managers, especially when we talk about quarterbacks. Um, you know, there will be time when scouts will pound the table for certain positions, and you know they can that'll play a big part. But when it comes to quarterback ownership gets involved you know this it's mainly a general manager a head coach offensive coordinator you know that input makes so much of a difference and so you know justin herbert what he does this season what he puts on tape will be a really strong indicator um you know to where he's going to be drafted ultimately but you know so much will depend on when he goes to the combine and you know we know about on the field and what he's going to do and he should look great in you know the athletic testing and throwing the football and all that but behind the scenes, at 10 o'clock uh, at night when he's up in, uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins hotel room on a, with a whiteboard and a screen, and they're going through coverages and, uh, you know, different reads and different things like that, that's where he can really shine. And that's where it could be the difference between is he the top quarterback on the draft board or is he third quarterback? And so, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of different scouts that like Justin Herbert, who love Justin Herbert, but ultimately – this is going to be an organizational decision in terms of who's the top quarterback on each board and where he might end up. Yeah, it seems like yeah, I guess from what I from what I glean at least, Dane, I'm not plugged in like you are in that regard. But uh, quarterback kind of becomes a, a a job saving or a job costing kind of pick. Is that somewhat uh, is that somewhat fair in today's NFL? Oh, no question. And you know, look at some of the teams that are going to be looking for a quarterback. Uh, you know, Miami, the Dolphins are essentially tanking right now regardless of what they say (laughs) and so when you do something like that when you sacrifice draft picks and players and uh you know basically this entire season you're sacrificing that at the expense of your fans and the history of your organization uh you better get the quarterback right Right. and and because you're doing this all for this one pick and if you don't get the quarterback right then it's all for naught and tanking was essentially worthless because it didn't lead to you getting the guy so there's a lot of pressure on a team like the Dolphins um, and, and some of these other teams that are not doing well right now to get that pick right, and that's why it's such an all-inclusive decision from the top down. It's it's funny. Uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago. Uh, you know, Matt and I were doing our podcast, and I said, "Remember the suck for luck." That's what everybody you know tank and suck for luck. Sure. You know, I came up with the busting for Justin for this year. So who knows if that's what the Dolphins are doing <laughs> or not? But um, so uh, I I'm I, I want to remain neutral here. Justin Herbert, uh, you know, good quarterback, lots of upside, got the measurables. All those things are great. Um, I really like that you pinpointed the. 
uh, conservative play calling on offense because, uh, like you said, receiver is not a strong point of this team. And if you're a good head coach, that's what you're doing. You're trying to minimize exposure there. So that said, moving forward, Oregon's got Washington coming up. they got Cal this weekend. You've got USC. Uh, they've got some really good games that will showcase what Justin can or can't do. What do scouts need to see from him? Is there is there concern from him in the RPO? Is there concern from him, uh, you know, making uh, zone read decisions? You know, what what sort of things do you think he needs to do well these next few weeks to really up his stock? It's just being confident in his decision making and making the right decisions. Obviously, I mean, mental processing is paramount to playing the position at a high level because you're making split second decisions. With the pass rush coming down on you, the windows are so small uh, at the next level. So for Herbert, when Cal is playing bump and run, and you know he has to find those windows downfield, uh, you know, can he make uh, the left to right reads, high to low reads? Uh, you know, does he have the internal clock where not only is he negotiating the rush, stepping up in the pocket, uh, but keeping his eyes downfield and understanding when to come off each read, go to the next one find that open receiver. And a lot of that comes from tape study and the pre-snap, uh, your pre-snap reads, understanding what the defense is trying to do, what's the coverage, and where is the vulnerability in, in that coverage. And so for, and that's why I think this Cal matchup is so important because of the way that Justin Wilcox loves to play defense because uh, he, he will be aggressive. And, you know, Cam Bynum on the outside, Ashton Davis at safety, uh, they have a very aggressive secondary. And so they're going to get up and get in the face of receivers and, you know, force Herbert to make some decisions. And uh, they're trying to throw something different at him. But, you know, he's a veteran quarterback. And so it's all about adjusting on the fly and not looking like he's surprised out there by anything that the defense is doing. That will help in a big way if he's able to do that and be productive. One of the things that we've talked about, at least here, and and I want to understand from you if it's a fair criticism or not of what you've seen, is that Justin Herbert doesn't seem to throw receivers open. And I know you, you know, that's something you touched on getting to the NFL. You're going to have to do that in those tight windows. It, it seems as though he kind of waits and holds until his guy's open, which he has the arm strength to make that up at the college level. At the NFL level, that won't always be the case. Is that some? Is that is that a fair assessment? Is that something you've seen or not at all? You know, I know I think that's fair. Um, I think for me, he just he tends to stare down receivers. Uh, you know, he kind of locks onto a certain read, and he just he's really stubborn about it. Like he really wants that read, and instead of coming off of it and going to a different spot, uh, you know, he's going to wait until that receiver comes open. So you know, to your point, um, but I you know I think there's he needs to improve that internal clock where. He's and you know part of that is the play calling and you know the the lead up to the game and the film study and help you know the offensive coaches helping out their quarterback and saying okay if that read's not here check it down or do this or do that and you know whatever the A B C uh, reads are in that certain play so I, I think that is something where he is not consistently going to anticipate those windows um, because honestly he's never really had to because like you pointed out. He has the arm to get away with it. Um, and there are quarterbacks at the NFL level who still do not anticipate at a high level, uh, but they have the arm strength to get away with it. And, you know, if you're Jake Fromm from Georgia, you're not going to be able to do that because you have to thrive uh, uh, with your uh, above the neck because you don't have maybe the arm strength that can make up for it where Herbert can. Mm -hmm. uh, but for, for Herbert, really, it's just about making the right decisions and you know, not getting stuck on that one read 
and being stubborn about it. He's Dane Brugler at DP Brugler on Twitter, and you can read him at The Athletic, which I, I just got to point out the contrast here. Scoop Duck is a great site. You pay 10 bucks and you get all the inside info on the ducks. What I love about The Athletic, you pay a little bit of money and you get everything about everybody. From like top-notch I, guys, too. Right, yeah. right. Um, Dane Brugler, one of the many great writers there with us right now. I, I, I want to know, Dane, if... Justin Herbert didn't exist, and we were just looking at other draft prospects on this Oregon team. Are there any other names that pop out to you? Certainly. Um, I think the two seniors, uh, and this is a very veteran team. Uh, I think Oregon fans should be excited about some of these underclassmen, but the seniors, uh, I think they are legit five or six seniors that have a decent shot, maybe seven uh, seniors that have a shot to get drafted. And the two after Herbert that come to mind immediately, Troy Dye and Shane Lemieux. Lemieux, to me, he might be the top guard uh, in this upcoming draft. Uh, 6'4", 317 pounds. He moves uh, fairly well for a guy that size. Uh, Quick as a puller, uh, very clean lateral movements uh, when he faces quickness. Uh, I really like his attitude. I mean, he's always looking for someone to block. Um, And and he blocks through the whistle. Uh, He does not quit. So, uh, he needs to improve some of the – a few details to his game. He needs to improve. Um, he gets too up, upright in his pass sets. Um, he's not – I would like to see him get a little bit stronger. I love the tenacity, but he's not maybe that, that mauler who's simply just going to overpower everybody. Uh, he plays like he can, but uh, you know, at the next level, it's not going to be quite that easy. Uh, and that will lead to him getting off balance a little bit. But regardless, Shane Lemieux has a lot of things to work with. I think he has a shot to get in the top 100 picks as uh, maybe the first guard drafted. But regardless, he should be a senior bowl guy and a, a player that we're talking about uh, going to the next level and uh, you know competing for not only a roster spot, but uh, maybe even pushing for starting time. And then Troy Dye on defense. I don't, you know, some people will throw around first round with him. I don't think he's a first round pick. I haven't talked to a scout that thinks he's a first round pick, but he can be a really solid day two pick. You know, second, third round, maybe even I've heard some on you know, some teams see him as a fourth or fifth rounder. Um, but I think second and third round certainly doable for him. He's he's uh, kind of that new age linebacker where he's tall and lean, six three and a half, two hundred eighteen pounds, decent length. Uh, the key for him will just be, you know, can he? There are flashes when you watch his tape where he holds up really well in coverage. Uh, he has that athleticism. He has that range where he can do it. But sometimes he's caught guessing, and it, it, that's something that he needs to eliminate and get better at. And I think so far so good uh, this season, but he can continue to do that if he wants to uh, break into that day two range and be a, a firm day two pick. So after Herbert, you're looking at Die, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Die and Lemieux as being uh, the next two Oregon senior prospects that I'm looking at. I'm going to ask real quick. I'm going to ask you on Die because he was, uh, you know, one of the, obviously Justin Herbert came back and that was a big storyline. Troy Day, Troy Dye came back and that was another big storyline for Oregon. And I know every case is different. Everybody's making the best decision for them. But is in in Troy Dye's case at least to date, does that does coming back to Oregon seem to have possibly helped his uh, NFL draft potential from what you've seen so far? I don't know if he's necessarily helped it as much as he just hasn't heard it. I, I think what we thought Troy Dye was last January, he still kind of looks like that guy. Um, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, we're still waiting for that breakout game from him uh, where he kind of takes over and 
you know, shows that he can do all these things. Um, I don't think he's really done that to date. But again, I don't think he's done anything to necessarily hurt himself. And I think something that will help him this year uh, is it just it doesn't look like a great linebacker class. Uh, mm. When you talk about the seniors, I, there aren't many seniors uh, in this group that you can point to and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely a top 100 pick uh, at the linebacker position. Uh, the, the senior class doesn't have that. And we'll see what the underclassmen uh, do. Um, you know, a guy like Isaiah Simmons from Clemson or uh, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. Uh, but overall, the linebacker class does not look like a strong group. And so that could help uh, Troy Dye come draft time. Good. No, that's great. Great point there. Probably something that went into his decision making. I'm going to ask you about uh, what has apparently become Justin Herbert's favorite target this year, and that's tight end Jacob Breeland. Um, you know, a guy that's just kind of hovering around there, having a good season so far. Uh, I don't think anybody's disillusioned to think he's a, a top 100 or a first round type of guy. But, you know, how has he kind of played so far and, and, and has he kind of pushed himself up draft boards a little bit, possibly? I think he has. And, you know, part of over the summer, I spend, you know, three months just pouring over senior tape of all these guys and just being on the phone with scouts and trading notes, trading information. And I did not receive a single draftable grade um, from a scout on um, on Jacob Breland. Uh, a lot of them had uh, high PFA or, you know, I, I think he's going to get signed and he'll have a shot. But no, none said, oh, I think he's a sixth or seventh rounder or a mid rounder or anything like that. But after what he's done so far this year, I think he's putting himself in position to fight for a, a spot in the draft, uh, even if it's late. Um, you know, this is a, a tight end class that's a little crowded. There's a lot of different names, but so far so good uh, for Breland. And I think he's, you know, a lot of the, the boxes that you're looking for, you can check off. He's six five and a half. He's 247 pounds. Uh, he runs probably in the mid four sevens, uh, which is, you know, good for that size and that position. Uh, I think you know, there's certain things in the, as a blocker where he, he needs to get better. But in terms of his routes, in terms of being a reliable target, for Herbert, uh, I think he's helping himself. And I, there's something to be said about, you know, when you have a player that's so highly thought of, like Justin Herbert, a potential number one overall pick at quarterback, if you are a wide receiver or a tight end on that team, or even anybody on the offense, offensive lineman, this is your shot. Because you know scouts are going to be scouring that tape. Every single tape, every single throw, every single snap that Herbert has, scouts and general managers are going to be watching that. And so if you're at one of those targets, hey, that's an opportunity. Uh, you know, it's a little different from some of these other schools that don't get as much notice. Because Herbert is there, it's a really good shot for Breeland to show what he can do. And I think through four games, he's definitely done that. Uh, one of the guys, we're going to shift gears a little bit here. Uh, one of the guys I want to ask you that might have a decision to make is, is defensive tackle, defensive lineman Jordan Scott. Uh, a guy that Duck fans love, just be, not just because of his play, but his glowing personality. He's, he's a lot of fun to follow on Twitter. Great young man out of Florida. Um, he's anchored the defensive line for Oregon for three years now. Could have a decision after this year. We don't know. But have you studied or seen or heard much about Jordan Scott and and how he might fit into the NFL draft? Yeah, you used the word anchor, and I think that's the perfect word to to describe him. Uh, you know, he's just over, a little bit over six foot, but he's he's so wide and so thick, and he's the anchor by just playing low, that, you know, we talk about how important measurables are. You know, I think uh, we can maybe talk too much about height when it comes to defensive linemen because 
he plays that natural leverage because he has the low pad level. He does play loaded to the ground. So he's up, be able to get underneath blockers and hold his ground and take on doubles. And so he's not going to be a guy that's a terrific pass rusher at the next level who, uh, you know, consistently uh, is a, a penetrator with, uh, you know, with that quickness. But he's more of a run plugger who can create those, you know, 10-player pile-ups at the line of scrimmage and eliminate those run lanes uh, with his ability in the middle. So um, his value at the next level is probably not going to be in the first two rounds because, again, he doesn't really bring that pass rush value, but he can be a reliable uh, player in that defensive line rotation where he's going to be a, a guy that stops the run. He's going to be a player that you know exactly what you're getting, exactly the type of role that he has. I think he's scheme-specific, whether you want to play as a nose. I think he could play maybe more of a one technique uh, in a 4-3 base. I mean, there's different things you can do with him, and he's not hard to figure out. I think you know exactly what you're getting with him, and you know there's, there's not a lot of mystery there. And for a lot of teams, that has a lot of value because you know what he is. You can project him forward. And so I, I think Scott, like you said, he's definitely going to have a decision to make after this year. Sounds like uh, a mid-round guy, fairly enough. Maybe like a four-five kind of guy. You thinking possibly? It, you know, probably. And it just depends on you know every every team will value that position differently. Um, you know, some teams won't consider a you know a, a big or you know that that hulking nose tackle in the first four rounds. Some will value it more, say, starting in the third round. And uh, you know, so it really it will depend on team to team, scheme to scheme, and how they value the position because it is there's just varying opinions about, uh, you know, especially in today's NFL when, you know, it's so many pass-happy offenses, uh, you know, what is the value of a player like that? So it is something that I'm sure will be debated in war rooms uh, throughout the process. Uh, I'm going to send you off on this one, Dane. We want to get you back to your work, and we appreciate your time. But uh, one guy I haven't prepped you for yet, but I'm going to wager if you've flipped on film of Shane Lemieux, you've probably said, who in the hell is that guy to the left of him? Ooh, and, I, knew <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. The young man, Panesul, uh, left tackle at Oregon. Uh, just uh, He's not eligible to come out. We know that. Real quick, what, what have you kind of seen there from probably the limited amount you've studied him? Well, you can't miss him. I mean, <laughs> he is, on a veteran offensive line, he's the best player on that offensive line. Um, and we're going to be talking about him He's a true sophomore, so we're going to be talking about him in the 2021 class, most or most likely. Uh, you know, he'll have a decision to make after next season, uh, but he could be the top tackle in next year's draft, uh, the 2021 draft. He is that talented. Uh, we like to see him lose maybe a little bit more of that baby weight uh, that he has on his frame, but I tell you what, even for a guy that's that size, he moves really well. Uh, he wants to bury you as a defender, uh, but he has the quickness where he can hold up and pass protection. So I haven't done a full dive-in study yet just because he's not draft eligible, but you can't miss him when you watch the Oregon tape, whether it's Herberg or Lemieux or anybody else. So I'm excited for uh, you know when I eventually do get to study him because he looks like a really, really good player. Yeah, I, I figured you've probably watched enough of the offensive line and went, holy crap, who's that big 58 on the left? <laughs> right. <laughs> like I said, he's the best of the group. He, I mean, he is uh, the youngest, and he's probably the best in terms of what he is now and what he's going to be at the next level. No, I, I sort of expected that, but it's still nice to hear you say that because you're not – uh, quote unquote, an organ homer like the rest of us. So, <laughs> but, uh, but Dane, we've used a lot of your time more than we had asked for, and I appreciate it. And, and it was awesome stuff as usual. That's why we wanted to have you on. And uh, hopefully we can get you back here maybe towards the end of the year and kind of see where things wrapped up for Oregon. Anytime, guys. Thanks. 
Oh, while while you're getting the notes on our next guest ready, I just got to say, I had that question in my mind. I had it like wrapped <laughs> up and ready of if we had an extra five minutes, right. I would have said, Dane, I know he's not eligible, but what do you think about Panay? Right. And I love that you asked that question. No, to me, yeah. that's that's the biggest question outside of Herbert with this team is just how high can Panay go when he's draft eligible? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost crazy. I mean, obviously so many unknowns, but we could sit here and, and, and seriously look at it and say he might get drafted higher than Justin Herbert. I agree. It's, it's totally possible. He's, I agree a top three pick. Well, well that's why I've said, and, and this is not with any information. I do not have your sources. This is just me as a, as a viewer looking at his tape and seeing the reaction that those hits and the violence that he plays with the reaction that that has across the league. I see a guy that has to seriously think about leaving after his junior year. Oh, yeah. There's no question a conversation's going to have to be had. If you're an Oregon fan and you think that we're crazy, you're being naive. Right. There's no way a player that's playing like him at, the, at this point, we're four games in. I mean, he's going to only get better the rest of this season, barring injury. And I knocked on the wood, okay? Yes. But he's only going to get better this season. Then he's got an off season. Then he comes back for next year. If you look at the jump he made from last year to this year, and he was even injured, you know, a decent portion of last year, it's completely apparent that this kid's off the charts, ridiculously talented. Mm -hmm. I wanted, I almost got greedy and almost asked him about Javon Holland, but I didn't, you that's know, I, the, that's another one like that. It is. Yeah. And, and I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't because I don't know how much tape uh, Dane has been able to watch on, the secondary, because Oregon doesn't really have a secondary person that that fits in that upperclassman. Uh, you know, Diamondo Lenore and Thomas Graham could come out if they wanted to. They are eligible, but I, I knowing what I know about Dane, he's you know he's having to basically, uh, you know, put everything in order, go go from seniors down, and I'm not sure he's gotten through the junior class yet or to the junior class. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of film to watch, but yeah. So I wanted to ask him, get greedy, and ask about Javon Hall, and just because. I mean, he's up there, too. I mean, that guy's special. Um, it's kind of like how you are with recruiting of I can ask you about a high school freshman, but you might not know about the guy. Right. When he's a senior, you know about him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or or even a junior. But yeah, you've got a you know, you've got too many names. I mean, I, I, just, I know just from recruiting, there's too many names to try and keep track of. I can only imagine, you know, scouting the entire college football stratosphere, you know, how much. But Dane killed it. I mean, I love the way he identified so many players on Cal's defense and secondary. He he knows his stuff. He knows the Pac-12. You know, I loved uh, I, I loved that we didn't even have to uh, prep him on it. And he, you know, identified some of the things that he actually, if you heard him, he actually said Oregon's play calling has been good. Now, I know yeah. some of you are going to shut this podcast off right now. <laughs> Because we brought that up. Torches and pitchforks okay, to so 1438 Ross Sandley. We didn't put him up to that. Yeah. We didn't put him up to that. That was on his own. Uh, called the play calling good and identified what Oregon is doing from a play calling standpoint. They are fairly conservative in terms of the passing game because Oregon really doesn't have a deep threat on the roster or they haven't the first four games. Now, Schooler's coming back. Pittman's coming back. You know, however much they play this week, make, uh, uh, you know, assuming they play this week, which which seems likely... You know, Juwan Johnson's a wild card. We don't really know what to say there. Basically, getting a, a deep threat for Oregon in the receiving core somewhere is going to be valuable. You might argue that Jacob Breland 
is a deep threat. He's not. That's merely by design. It's just a. That's just a. That's just a part of Oregon's offense and the way it's it's come around, especially with them playing a couple three three five defenses. That's been a byproduct of that. Jacob Breland's not a deep threat. You don't send him forty yards downfield because he's going to burn past guys. He's not. It's just been a, those big plays he's had has been a byproduct of the three three five and and the game plan. So. You know, getting Pittman, getting somebody that, that can stretch the field. Hopefully, that opens up the playbook a little bit more for Herbert. Maybe he can put that stuff on film, and then when we have Dane on uh, in a couple months or whenever we have him back on, he can say, "Hey, that part of the game is strong. Herbert's looking good." I feel like at points maybe we were bashing on Herbert, and that wasn't the goal. It was, "Hey, let's find out what the negatives are being said about him." Mm-hmm. You know, not we know the we know the positives. Trying to turn a leaf. Well, we know the positives. We know that he's a great young man, high IQ. He's got the measurables. He's got the arm. We know all that, and that's not to take anything away from him. What does he need to work on to be that number one pick? That's right. what we need to know. Um, so, if anybody tuned this in and thought, "Oh, it's a bash vest on Justin Herbert," not at all. It is not a bash. We we just want to know from this point, you know, Cal forward. What do we need to see Justin Herbert do to be that number one guy? Because that's very valuable to Oregon as a university, as a program. You know, for, for Mario Cristobal to be able to say we had the number one draft pick in the NFL on the recruiting trail next year, right. that's very valuable. You, you walk into the Mariota Center, and then they pitch you that there's another first overall pick at QB. Yeah, you got, you got Mariota going, and you got you got uh, Justin Herbert. Or, or I guess Marcus didn't go number he one. Didn't he didn't number two. Gone he should have gone number Either one. way, you had two early first-rounders, top three picks. Um, that's the big part. Next year, if Panay Sewell comes out and he's a top three pick, which looks like possibly, you know, then you can. I mean, you keep pitching. That's what Alabama does. Right. That's what Alabama and Clemson are doing at this point that Oregon doesn't have. Oregon has sent guys to the league, yes, and they have had some great players in the NFL league. But from a consistency standpoint, they're not an NFL factory like Alabama is. I agree. Ohio State or, uh, you know, uh, Clemson has become the last few years. Oregon doesn't have that. They're, they can turn into that, and they're getting there. But this class is going to be big. Next year's class is going to be big towards that. There's a lot uh, that goes into it. Great to hear about Herbert. Great to hear. He called Shane Lemieux the top, possibly the top guard in the draft. Yeah. That's, that's high praise. That, that is. Kudos to Shane Lemieux, um, you know, for doing that and, and putting himself in that position. Um, you know, we didn't touch on Throckmorton much or Jake Hansen much. I think those are guys that are – that are draft consideration, you know, probably mid-round guys. Throckmorton's probably, you know, possibly as high as a three, you know, more likely a four or five-round kind of guy. I think his versatility helps him a lot, but, you know, versatility isn't what you need in the NFL. You need, like you said, you need a guard that you know what he is, He's, you know. Yeah. And you need a tackle that you know what he is. Um, you know, so for Throckmorton, I got a feeling his value is probably at a, as, as a guard in the NFL league, if I had to guess. I'm not Dane Brugler, though. But good to hear about uh, Jacob Breland and, and Troy Dye and all those guys. And Jordan Scott. Sounds like Jordan Scott. Scott might have a decision to make after this year, too. Yeah, I, I agree with what Dane said about Jordan Scott, where Fat Mac isn't a fit on every team. Yeah. You know, just because of the, the nuances of, of defensive lines. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not right. Aaron Donald, and that's fine. But I think about a team like, say, Seattle, who had a Puna yeah. Ford yeah. last year. They'll get a big, huge monster in the middle, and just like Dane said, sit him at one tech where you're just trying to absorb blockers and yep. trying to fill space. Fill space, and you don't need to get twenty sacks a year, right? right? They're not going to cut you if you can't rush the passer because they're not going to ask you to rush the right. passer. Uh, not every team needs that guy, 
but some of them do and some of them value that a, a team that and, and and more importantly you don't have to play every down you could be a guy that comes right. in on third down and right. short you can be a guy that comes in on goal line situations you have value to the team and again like dane identified if they know what you are a team will draft you the appropriate way. Say, hey, look, you know, we're not going to ask Jordan Scott to turn into a pass rusher. That's not what he's going to be. Mm-hmm. But we can use him on third and ones. We can use him on fourth and goals. You know, we can use him in, in various situations. And a team that has a really good linebacking core. Yes. Yes. That's what you, you ask him to take away those two lanes and, and, and plug the middle and let your linebackers work. That's why Troy Dye's had a lot of tackles. Troy Dye's a great player, but he's gotten helped a lot by Jordan Scott and what he's doing. That archetype, uh, 2000 Ravens, is near mm-hmm. and dear to me because I went to the AFC title game that year, uh, diehard Raider fan with my dad, and we watched the 2000 Ravens kick the crap out of us, right? right? They were built behind two mammoths inside yeah everybody wants to talk about ray lewis at middle linebacker well ray lewis was able to make all the plays he did because sam adams and tony saragusa just swallowed the earth yeah and a team like that that is a modern defense that the teams still look at when they're building their defenses they want to emulate that there's going to be a lot of teams looking for jordan scott this spring yeah yeah i mean he's, he's got a known value and again i think that's where his value is you know what he's going to be able to do for your team and a defense that runs that way and needs that kind of guy they're going to value him doesn't and again let's back this up we're not saying jordan scott's coming out after this year we don't know he's got a lot of time left but he's certainly a guy that dane was already prepared to know about because he studied him probably heard some rumblings along the way like hey you should probably watch this guy you know he's under consideration so I, right you know, he wouldn't just do that just because so right. anyways great stuff there that helped us fill the bye week and it was more than helping fill the bye week that was just great content and now we have another good guest now we got another home runner yeah we get to talk to hithla day i know we've had him on before so you guys know exactly who he is uh in case you missed it on tuesday we're recording this on a wednesday uh hithla day came out with basically his study of the andy Lo- avalos defense currently at Oregon from what he's seen through the first four games. That's a massive read, too. It is. It's a massive read. It's really good. Uh, Love what he did. You've got to check it out. Uh, it, it's on uh, Addicted to Quack, or it's he's posted it on Scoop Duck as well for you guys with a link back to read it. Um, we, we just want to talk to him a little bit about what he's seen. Everybody's talking about the defense. I mean, let's face it. Everybody's talking about how awesome Oregon's defense looks right now. You don't have to be an Oregon homer to see that. It's a really good defense. Um, and so Hithleday, you know, did a study, a deep study into the makings of it, what he's seen, what Avalos is doing. And uh, and, and it'll be fun to just kind of hear him talk about that for about 10 or 15 minutes. And, yeah. and then we can do five games and lock of the week and all that fun stuff afterwards. Sounds great. Yep. Let's get him on. He's Hithleday at Hithleday1 on Twitter. You can also read him at Addicted to Quack. And like Justin said earlier, he posted a link to his bombshell awesome piece breaking down the duck defense over at scoopduck.com. Hith, let's talk about that piece. Uh, over on ATQ, it's titled Duck Tape Film Review of Oregon's New Defense. And you, you just break this all down how great this duck d has been this fall uh when you started this research project what was the biggest surprise to you uh hmm uh i think actually the biggest surprise has been 
uh, as fun as looking at all the schematic stuff is, and I hope uh, your listeners uh, check it out, uh, that I think the scheme is just sort of the cherry on top, uh, that really what's going on is uh, that the talent has just uh, upgraded. Uh, Oregon was returning so much production, and every single one of those guys has improved. You, you would expect with this many guys returning that, that somebody would regress just by the law of averages, and I don't see a single one who has. Uh, they, they very smoothly replaced the four uh, starters that they lost last season. And at at least one position, I think, is a significant talent upgrade, uh, Slave Matuatia. And, uh, and they're also bringing online some, uh, some new guys, uh, at least three of them, who are, you know, who are fantastic or, you know, be- better talents than, than the backups were last year. So uh, I, I think maybe like 75% of it is just like, wow, the, these guys just look like be- much better players than they were in 2018. And then they're operating out of a scheme that confuses the hell out of their opponents. So that doesn't hurt. Um, it would appear just from your initial writings that, that Oregon's uh, running or, uh, or running a variation or, or, or the base defense is a three three five. Is that That's basically what you came up with. Is that fair to say, Hith? Correct. Uh, and it's not really schematically that different from Jim Levitt's defense. Uh, there, there are some differences here and there, and the principles are, are pretty different. But in terms of everybody's roles, with the exception of Bryson Young as the stud linebacker, everybody's roles are more or less similar. I, I think that's helped the transition a lot. I'm, I'm basically reading the last uh, paragraph that you wrote, and and I just want it, for people that don't check it out, which is foolish, but in case they don't, I I think this is an important one. And this is from Hithliday. This is his words. My conclusion, after reviewing the film we have so far, is that the schematic change has been a good one. Defensive alignments are appropriate to the situation, situations in which they're called. They create surprise and confusion in opposing offenses, and they're effectively playing with more men because of several play designs that get results with fewer players. Uh, I guess one of the things I take away from that, Hith, when I read it is, effectively, Oregon's not really doing a lot uh, defensively other than kind of, you use this word and I've used it before as well, creating confusion and making the offense think. Is that another one of your biggest takeaways? That that is the name of the game with Andy Avalos's uh, defense is that they are acting and forcing the offense to react, um, and you know just about everything that they're doing, at least the stuff that I can see that's different from the previous system, it all goes towards that goal of confusing the offense, and uh, so you're seeing some stemming and shifting, which Oregon fans who've been watching Wazoo give uh, Oregon's line fits with for the last couple of years. Oregon's been doing. That uh, they're also disguising their blitzes. Um, you know, they're bringing guys from weird angles, um, and there's a bunch of uh, stunts that the line uh, is doing. You know, where the whole point is, you don't just run right at them; you come at them from a weird angle or from a different position. Um, and so the confusion is all very good. And on top of that. Uh, they're doing it in such a way that they don't actually blitz that often, or they don't actually bring more than four guys uh, as often as you would think. Um, they're they're effectively getting pressure with four guys, which is great. It means you can drop seven into coverage and you know really give the quarterback fits. Um, and so I'm just taking a second to take that in. So basically, Oregon's able to generate pressure. 
uh, with what we are going to call a blitz, but really isn't so much of a blitz. You got four guys coming. Like you said, you can drop seven. What's, what is making that successful? Is it just that confusion? Is it just, uh, you know, one of the things I'll throw it out and you can, uh, kind of expand on it, but <laughs> you, you ca- categorized organs blitzing as weird stuff. And I thought that was pretty yeah. funny, <laughs> but I mean, kind of expand on that a little bit if you don't mind. Uh, sure. So, uh, it's that there's a whole variety of blitzes, right? They're not just like I did. Uh, I've done film study of Michigan State twice in my life in, in a whole season film study of Michigan State. Uh, it almost killed me both times. Uh, <laughs> it it, may, it literally made me go blind the first time. I, it was a teardrop problem. Anyway, that's gross. Uh, and, and their blitz. They first of all they blitz a lot. And second of all, they blitz in the most vanilla way possible. It's okay. Um, you know, normally we're a four-man front, and we have a couple linebackers hanging about, and this time we're going to send both of the linebackers, and they're going to come right up the A-gaps. And, like, that's it. That That's their blitz structure is they just brought more dudes. Um, Oregon's blitz structure, structure under Andy Avalos is weird. It's the cornerback comes in from a funny angle, or a couple of safeties will come down, and a couple of defensive linemen will back out into coverage. Uh, they'll rotate around, you know, and sort of twist around the, the the center. They'll do a stunt where you know the tackle comes in first, and the end comes in around behind him, and uh, you know they'll do it in such a way that two different offensive linemen will crash into each other, trying to deal with that, and that gives them a free look. Um, it is it is based around confusion and and such that I'm not really sure, you know, some people have asked me, do you think that the effectiveness of, of this will diminish as teams get more and more film uh, on Oregon's defense? And I think the answer is probably not because even if you know the, like, two dozen different ways that they can attack you, you don't know which way they're going to use this time. And that time thinking about, okay, where, where the hell is the pressure coming from on this play? Like, that's all the time that the defense needs to get to the QB. Hiv, uh, you talk about the, the difference in blitzing that Oregon has implemented where you're not just flooding guys through the A-gaps like we see so many NFL teams try to do. Uh, you, you're trying to bring guys from different angles, and you might not necessarily bring a lot of blitzers, but you don't know where those blitzers are coming from. I think about what the Steelers have done for, for decades now, uh, Dick LeBeau making that popular uh, back in the day where you, you bring a linebacker or you bring a corner and then you pop a defensive end back into coverage. And I, I think about that with regards to the stud position, which we really didn't know about in the offseason, what that was going to be. Um, do, you, do you know more about the stud position now and what that means in the Oregon defense? Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting position. It's probably, you know, in terms of guys who have different jobs, it's it's Exhibit A. Um, I mean, most interestingly, Bryson Young hadn't really had any kind of production at all before in, you know, Oregon's defenses, and and now he's kicking ass, right? And it's because he's the, the, the starting stud backer. Um, it's a really interesting role. Uh, it's sort of the jack of all trades roles. He he can rush the passer. He can drop into pass coverage. He can head laterally for outside stuff. Um, uh, he can blitz. He can 
he can drop back. You know, he, he sort of does it all, and that's sort of the, where the where the confusion is coming from. Usually, when uh, when people ask me like how can I become better at watching football games? What I tell them is to watch the middle linebacker because the middle linebacker is reading the play and he'll tell you what the play is going to be. You just have to watch his feet. If he's heading forward, he's reading run. If he's going back, he's reading pass and, and, and so forth or other things. And in this defense, I would actually advise people, don't watch Troy die. I mean, watch Troy die. He's fun to watch. But watch Bryson Young. Or when uh, Mace Funa is in, definitely watch Mace Funa. That guy is super exciting. Um, because he's telling you uh, how Oregon's reading the play and what kind of uh, weird stuff is coming down the pike. Uh, one of the things, I guess, the uh, I don't want to call it a knock. I don't know how I want to phrase it. But one of the things that I think was, was difficult about Jim Levitt's defense was the fact that the secondary was in man coverage 98% of the time. Yep. Uh, has Oregon shifted that around a little bit from what you've seen? It's, it's early. I imagine they probably want to put in more. I know you said it was similar to, to Jim Levitt's defense schematically, but have, have they done a little bit more? Uh, in the back end of things so far? Um, first of all, they're playing a lot more nickel. Uh, second, you're right, they're balancing out uh, man and zone a lot more. And the other thing is, I, I didn't really have a problem per se with Jim Lovett playing a bunch of man defense. The problem was the, the pass rush wasn't complimentary of it. You know, if you're going to play man, you can't leave those guys out, you know, hanging for too long you know, everybody who watched the cal versus asu game last friday saw what happens when you do that um it, and so i think the biggest uh, change is not so much how the coverage has worked but just that the pass rush is so much more effective with the defensive front that y- you can use a variety of different coverages including you know man uh and they're just so much more effective so it sounds like the back end and the front end are a lot better tied to, tied together more than anything. That's definitely true. And, you know, one thing that you notice is Javon Holland has the number two amount of tackles on the program. That's because, you know, his safety position is all over the field, including coming down and run support. Um, I love, I, I guess one of the things I'm stuck on, and, I, and it's not, it's it's so funny to me, but it's, it's, the simplicity of this defense is the fact that for all intents and purposes, communication goods, the alignments are good. All those things, those are, you've got to do those things fundamentally for it to work. But the, the creating confusion element is at the root of, of, you know, what seems to be the success so far, which I love. Oregon has brought in something that I mentioned a while back. Oregon has brought in a little bit more twisting and stunting up front a la Washington State, which we've, you know, now you've got Joe Salavea on, t- on, on staff. Now you've got Ken Wilson on staff. They, yeah, know, exactly. how to, they, know, they know how to do that. Is that something, my long-winded question here, is that something you think we will continue to see Oregon bring in more and more as they get more familiar with doing that? You mean steal more of Wazoo's coaches? Yeah, pretty much. Well, that too, yeah. You got Mastro, you got Wilson, you got Salavea. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's like half the half the half the program used to be in Pullman. Um, uh, I see no reason why they would stop it. It's certainly been effective. Um, but, you know, I, I think I would go back to what I was saying initially, which is that, like, as fun as the scheme is, and uh, it, it really is, you know, fun to study, fun to watch, you know, they're doing unusual stuff, they're leveraging, you know, uh, uh, more pressure. The thing that's the thing that's very clear really is the fundamentals. Uh, we, sh- we should not uh, ignore 
the importance of those. So not only do you see just guys executing better, communicating better, tackling better, but you see the thing that impressed me was that you know, we're only four games in, but uh, they've never been misaligned. Uh, there's that one embarrassing substitution error uh, against Auburn that led to a touchdown. I, I don't count that as a misalignment problem. That's a substitution problem. But they're never on my tally sheet that I write down, why the hell are they structured this way? Or, like, of course that offensive play succeeded. They they didn't have the correct personnel on the field in order to stop it. And And I, you know, at least once a game, I would be writing that down for Oregon in 2018. At least once a game, I watch, I write that down for every game that I chart for every program that I've done for years. Uh, We're four games in. I've never written that down for an Avalos play. The defensive lineman has always been appropriate. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a pretty big reason why you haven't seen that many explosive plays go against Oregon. Is that, uh, real quick on that, is that, uh, more or less a byproduct of being prepared, I guess, if you will, uh, from Avalos all the way down? I think he's a really good coordinator. I think he doesn't make mistakes. I'll put it that way. You can go pretty far if you just don't make mistakes. Gotcha. No, that's good. Good to know. And I just, like like I said, it's, to, to, uh, let's just put this uh, out there. You know, three, four years ago to go from where Oregon was defensively to now, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a bigger turnaround to be had in, in college football. Yeah, I mean, it, that's per, it's pretty astonishing. Um, I think if Oregon had stolen, let's do a thought experiment, and Oregon stole uh, another Wazoo coach, Tracy Clays, and made him the defensive coordinator instead of Andy Avalos, I think you would see a lot of this same improvement simply because, like I said, I, the talent has upgraded. Um, you know, that that was a natural, organic thing that came from recruitment and replacing guys who were walk-ons with guys who were four-stars. Um, you know, th- that was going to happen. But that last, like, 25% of it, which is, I think, uh, better organized coaching and, you know, better alignments and then, you know, the wacky scheme stuff that's so so fun to watch. That's what takes him from being a top 20 offense to being a top 10, top 5, off, or excuse me, defense. All right, I think that's a really good point to switch gears and look at the uh, the next game on the calendar for the Ducks. The Bears. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Hith, I interviewed a Cal writer yesterday that – he was a, a Cal fan, Cal alum, and even he said, hey, Ducks are going to win this one by double digits. How do you see this game? Uh, I, I think I would take Oregon to cover the spread, depending on what it is. Um, yeah, I, I sort of have a hard time seeing Cal winning this game on the road. Um, the... Uh, the puzzling thing is Modster, um, because we have seen him play a pretty good game before, ironically, against Cal. And, you know, I've reviewed the tape on his, uh, on that half of football that we saw him play. And, I mean, some of it is mental mistakes, which it's an awkward situation to get thrown into. You can see a guy kind of getting, you know, rattled or whatever. And then maybe with a week, uh, you know, with practicing with the ones, he, he, he settles down a bit. But I'm also seeing a lot of physical limitations. Um, I just don't think he can push the ball down the field uh, nearly as effectively as Garbers can. 
and I think that is going to make their offense pretty one-dimensional. Now, I think their running game is uh, pretty good. They've got pretty good running backs. They're very good at getting yards after contact, um, and if there has been a weakness in Oregon's defense, um, I, I think the weakest point is that they've been surrendering a few, surrendering a few more yards after contact um, on their uh, when they're tackling the, the rusher than I'd like. So, you know, I think Oregon fans could sort of be, you know, groaning a bit seeing um, – uh, Dancy and Brown, you know, getting five-yard runs that probably should have been two-yard runs. Um, but a one-dimensional offense is just not going to beat this defense. And um, and then on the flip side, uh, you know, I, I think Cal's defense has been exposed a bit uh, in the last couple of games. Um, they're, they're simply not playing like the terrors that they were uh, last year. Um, I think part of that, this is the interesting thing, is that they've been out their nose guard, um, both Maldonado and Fui Simono, um, and they're looking like they're going to get Maldonado back. And so that might change the defensive line a little bit. We'll have to see. Uh, but he'll be rusty at the very least, so uh, it's just going to be an interesting question. But, you know, I, I think that Cal's defense has, has some holes, and Oregon uh, is good enough to exploit them. Uh, this game to me, and... You know, I'm just kind of going through my thoughts. Haven't done a lot of predicting or anything, but just hearing you talk and and just thinking about this game, it it seems to very much align with uh, what Stanford did against Oregon, which is in fact run the ball, control the ball. Uh, you know, try and keep this game within reach because I'm pretty sure David Shaw knew that if the game got 20 or more points out of hand early, he wasn't going to have the ability to catch up to Oregon. After that, I I, I kind of feel the same way about Cal offensively. You know, run the ball, you know, take some time off the clock. If you can keep Oregon, you know, 10 points, 14 points or less, you're in the game. If it gets away from you, and like you said, you're counting on Devin Modster to keep you in the game or help you get back in the game, you're in deep trouble. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly how I see it. I mean, that's the classic underdog strategy is to try to limit possessions and increase the variance in the game. You know, if both teams only get eight, nine possessions, then if you get lucky on one or two of them, you know, you're in the game. If you allow the game to be a 15 possession game, you know, just the organic superiority of your opponent's going to take over. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, every indicator says they're going to run the ball, try to take 35 seconds off the clock every time and, you know, play for turnovers, play for play to get lucky, uh, essentially. Um, and, you know, Oregon just needs to play smart, disciplined football. Now, I'm with you on Cal defensively. I think they're a good defense. By no means do I see this elite defense that some people have somewhat anointed them. I think their secondary is good, but it's beatable. Um, what, are, what, are, what are you kind of seeing out of them, um, at, at least from your standpoint? It sounds like you and I are probably somewhat on the same page, having not talked about it before, but, but what are you kind of seeing are the holes that Oregon should try and explode, exploit? Excuse me. Um, I think their secondary uh, is very good. I think the knocks on them have been somewhat um, overrated uh, in that they're really just getting hung out to dry by the, by the, by the absence of a pass rush. Um, Cal, in many ways, is like the poor man's Washington uh, in terms of their defense, where the defensive line just sort of keeps everything in front of them, and you know the the DBs will shut down plays. Well, eventually you've got to be able to get to the quarterback. And Cal's defensive line just hasn't been doing that. Um, I, I think they're missing a couple of guys. They're missing Chris Chris Ballmer from 2018, who was their outstanding nose tackle. 
Um, they haven't been able to replace him, and the guys who should have been able to replace him have been out with injuries. So it's sort of forced their it's forced guys who are who don't quite have the body type to play more uh, inside, and they're not really not able to do it. Um, I think they've taken a big step back at their other inside linebacker position um, when Kanashik left. I think he got picked up by the NFL. If he didn't, they should have. Um, and they replaced him with a JUCO transfer, Coin Deng, um, who was actually briefly on Last Chance U. Uh, he's the number one JUCO uh, transfer. He's built like an outside linebacker, and for some reason they've got him playing inside linebacker, and I am telling you, he is not ready to play that. Like, you can see he's got tremendous speed. He has a lot of physical assets, but he is out of position on almost every play. I really see Oregon, um, you know, identifying that and just running the ball to whatever side he's supposed to cover because he's not going to be there. So it sounds like this could be the day where the ground game gets on track? I am looking forward to that happening. You know, I think there's been a lot of hand-wringing about it because Oregon fans have had two weeks to think about it, and that's the worst thing in the world. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, Oregon had their center out last game. You could really see the effects of that. And, uh, you know, Stanford had, I think, a better defensive line than a lot of people are ready to appreciate. Um, I think this is a game where... Frankly, I think the current state of Cal's defensive front is worse than the current state of Stanford's defensive front. Um... And so, yeah, I, I definitely think that Oregon could have a big day on the ground. Yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think two things there, Hith. I agree with you wholeheartedly. That I, I mean, if if Mario Cristobal identifies the run game as being out of sync, as he called it, you know that he's gone in there the last two weeks and probably done nothing but make these guys run the ball into a wall trying to figure it out. Um, you know, so I feel like they'll get back on track there. And and secondly, I don't think enough people appreciate. Uh, you don't have to love Hanson, but the the difference between Hanson and Throck at center, you know, not only is there a difference there, but then you've taken Throckmorton out of the right tackle spot where he's valuable. Right, at. exactly. You're you're making two different positions suboptimal when that happens. It was probably the best move they had available. I wrote a whole argue, article back in January breaking down all the offensive line guys. I think it was the correct move um, to do that, but still, yeah, that that's exactly the effect that it creates. Yeah, kind of that uh, the butterfly effect a little bit, if, yep. if you will. So. Um, Hith, we, uh, I mean, I love the time. I, I love, I mean, I think, you know, I know Matt could, we could sit here and talk football all day, but um, unfortunately. <laughs> and musicals. And, yeah, and musicals. I always so. have fun with Hith, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you, you have your Dr. Horrible references and, and just the tech nerdiness. I love it. It's, it's way down my wheelhouse. He's a, he's a very well-balanced individual, the Hith Levin mm-hmm. man is. Uh, yeah. But no, Hith, we appreciate your time and, and, and we love your features. I love that you, uh, not only do you write them and, and, and take so much time to put them, but I love that you, you come and bring them on, on Scoop Duck and, and interact with the members. I know they really appreciate when you answer questions. So um, on that note, man, we're going we're gonna to send you off and let you get lunch. And hopefully Matt and I can do the same here in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Bon appetit. Thanks, Hith. Take care. All right, so normally we we have weeks where we can just riff for like thirty minutes on five games. Yeah, I do not want to do that this week. Well, there's no, we don't need to. Let's just get. I'll, I I will bet. Here's the deal. And you and I did. We both wrote down our games 
at the same time before we started the podcast and didn't say tell each other any, but we both looked at each other and went crap there's some really crappy games this weekend there's, yeah i'm betting we have probably four of the of the same five if i had to guess yes just yes. guessing so, almost, almost certain so don't know about all five no. but i think four out of five you, you go you go ahead and i'll just say yes or no and then i'll give you whatever i have left if i have any left auburn florida I do have that one. That's that's yep. That's my seven. That's a seven versus a ten. I think Florida is an overranked ten. I think Auburn yes. exposes them. I think the the Florida Miami game at the start of the year proved Florida is not a playoff team. If we find that out this week, if they were not in the SEC, I do not believe they would be a number ten ranked program right now. Yes, uh, Washington Stanford. I do have Washington Stanford. Yep, uh, and I, you know I. Stanford's not going to win the football game. No. But they're going to make it interesting. Yes. That's the only reason I have it down. I think Washington wins that game. I think they proved that there is a class in the Pac-12. Yep. Ducks and UW. Yep. And maybe Utah. And then everybody else. Yep. And um, I think that they they separate themselves this week. But Pac-12 North... You never know what happens. Nope, I agree. That's a 7.30 ESPN game, so you'll get to watch at least the second half of that game after your Duck game. Okay. Virginia Tech, Miami. Didn't have that. Okay. I only put that down because, like you mentioned, that piece on Miami this week, they have some talented players. Right. Um, Texas, West Virginia. I didn't have that one down either. I only put that down because it was fun last year. Right, right. No, it could be. That could be a fun one. There was there was nothing. There was nothing this week in college football. Uh, fifth game, I know you don't have. If you do, I'm going to do a backflip. Navy Air Force. I don't have that one. Yeah. That's a good one. I didn't I didn't see that one. I like that one. Commander-in-Chief's Trophy. I, like I, I look at it this way. Yeah. When college football is destitute because all the the schools just bail because they run out of money paying players. Right. By the way, I'm pro paying players. I'm just pointing out like that's where it's going to go. And I'm College not, football will die. I'm anti paying players. College football will die when right. all 50 states do what California just proposed. Uh, absolutely. The uh, the only three programs. That's me being anti paying players. Okay. They're going to ruin college football. Yes. I'd love to see players benefit from it financially. I just see it coming at the expense of college football. That's why I hate it. Yes. The whole system is going to burn. Just to be clear. Go ahead. Uh, There's going to be three schools left. Yeah. It's going to be Army. It's going to be Navy and Air Force. So. And we're watching triple option all day long. I love it, man. Football geekery right there. I'm I'm in on Navy Air Force. That's always a fun game. Okay. So I'll give you my three so we aren't spending a long time here. Iowa, Michigan. I'm surprised you didn't list this. 14 versus 19. It's going to be a boring ass football game to watch. Let me start with that. That's why I didn't put it down. But number two, Iowa's going to throttle michigan once again in my opinion okay and, and they're still i don't know how they're still ranked at number 19 michigan i don't know why i know why they're getting it it's bullshit but that's the 9 a.m game on saturday so you'll get to watch that it's really boring so just have that one in while you're getting your barbecue stuff ready and getting your your drinks ready to go tailgate that's what that one's for what's it gonna take to get jim harbaugh fired i i i don't know I don't know how much mediocre, like, where does Michigan want to be? Do they want to be perennially mediocre? Because that's where they're at. Right. And, like, yeah, they're not going to ever be terrible, terrible, but they're never going to be great. I mean, uh, anyways, we're keeping this. uh, Northwestern at Nebraska. Another game that I would have never picked. Because Northwestern is going to beat them. Off the radar. That's why I did it. Northwestern is going to beat them. Nebraska's going, they got their ass handed to them by Ohio State, which was going to happen that's a one o'clock game by the way i didn't see a, a tv affiliate listed because it's probably not a great game 
Uh, I thought you had this one, but Oregon State at UCLA. I, I just, you just, yeah, it's not gonna be pretty. It's not gonna be pretty. But that's the Chip's thing. gonna lose to Oregon State. These are the two. Wow. Okay. These are the two <laughs> worst teams in the Pac-12. <laughs> Um, uh, Arizona's right there with them, but Arizona beat UCLA. Yeah, they, uh, I know that's how bad UCLA is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I I feel bad because like I had Chase Coda on my show last week. Yeah, and um, I love that he's thriving. I yeah, love it. Chase is doing really well. Yeah, that Bruin team around him, not so much. Oregon could have used him. Yeah. Or oh yeah, oh yeah. Six, We're talking five, about the deep threat. We're talking six, about six five and yeah. a deep threat, no yeah. doubt. And then for Oregon State, I hit on this all the time on my show because we're a Beaver affiliate. I like Jonathan Smith, the person. I, I do. I do not like Jonathan Smith, the coach. And we saw more evidence of that last Saturday where you have a running game that can smash Stanford yeah. and you have multiple backs that can take that rock and run with it. And for three quarters, they didn't run the ball. Right. And, and I'm like, are you, are you, it's a rainstorm in Corvallis. The yeah. field is a mess. You can't throw. Are you kidding me? And and they they run when they're down, so they right. burn all this clock. They they come back, and then one kickoff, and you're screwed. Right. Um. I I don't think the Beavers win a Pac-12 game this year. Oh, I think that was their their moment of opportunity, and they missed it. Almost like they were being too cute, you know. And instead of just hey, I feel like stick it. to what you're good at, and yeah. that's that's a game of football, really. I mean, as much as uh, the run game has struggled for Oregon, Mario Cristobal is going to stick to that damn run game and make the rest of it work. Right. That's what you do. It's it's one more reason why, and I know you Duck fans, you guys think about this all the time. Be thankful that you're not the little brother in Corvallis. <laughs> uh, so I think Oregon State actually beats UCLA. It's going to be a terrible game. Look, it was it's not a great week of college football. No, I love college football, but your best game is probably Cal Oregon, the game you're wanting to watch anyway. So. Yes. You know, consider yourselves lucky, Duck fans. And yeah. it's a home game. It's a good week for the honeydew list. It's a good week to go tailgate all day on Saturday, not worry about a bunch of great games you're missing. And, you know, it's supposed to be a nice day. It's supposed to be like 68 degrees. Wow. 70. Yeah, that's a great day. Hey, the way the weather has turned, you can't take that no, for granted they right take now. that. And you're talking early October, it's going to be, you know, 70-ish degrees in Eugene on a nice Saturday of a really terrible college football elsewhere take that and run all day so that's your five games people uh we've had a great podcast we're not done but we've had a great podcast with dane brugler and i think we had him on for 20-ish plus minutes hithla day had him on for 20-ish plus minutes so at this point we're probably getting to our hour mark pretty easily so uh, it's time to lock it in lock it in man yep lock it in Let's start with you, Jay Hop. Yeah, what start, do you got? I'm going with the obvious. I'm just going to go with the obvious. I've done it a couple times already this year, but I'm going to stick with it because I believe that Oregon knows, Mario Cristobal knows what his team's identity is, and it's running the damn football. Oregon's going to get back to running the football because, like Hithliday said, I agree Cal's defense is not that good. If you've got a middle linebacker that's not sure what he's supposed to be doing, really Oregon's going to account for Evan Weaver and then figure out how to run a different direction. Long, I'm getting long-winded here, but offensive line should be back to full strength. You get Throckmorton back out at the right side. You've got Hanson back at center. I think they're going to get back to the run game. I think that interior offensive line of Oregon has something to prove this week. And I'm, I'm lock of the week. Oregon rushes for 250 yards or more in this football game. Wow. Man, that would shut a lot of people 250. up. 250. Take man. it to the bank. If you guys can get over to the gambling casino on the coast and bet, go ahead and bet on it. Yeah. It's a log of the Eventually, week. the state's going to get their own <laughs> thing going. Yeah. but They will. Yeah. 
they got to wait for the checks to clear whoever's paying them off dude but when they got rid of sunday ticket i was so mad the being what is it sunday ticket was that what it was called when you could gamble the, on the, the old school pickums yeah. i was a little kid when they had this yeah my was, dad and i used to do it awesome yeah yeah okay that, that takes the, me back man That's, oh I, that was that was my sunday ritual i'd get up and uh you know probably not being a proper state of affairs get up we would go to burger king and get a croissant witch and all kinds of other crap that i should i can't eat anymore and hit the grocery store the little market on the corner on the way back yeah yeah go back get get a couple tickets plop down watch football all day and hope that we were going to hit it big i'll never forget my dad and i would pick like all the football games every week on that thing and we got every week we would lose because it's impossible to get yeah. all of them right but one week we got close we got like seven games right except for the sunday night game and it was uh the year that houston was an expansion team oh yeah and brett Favre was the qb of the packers and i will never forget Favre had a terrible game throws like right. several Favre picks where it's just boneheaded and uh and at the end of the game he leads the packers on a comeback drive they're in field goal range, and their kicker shanks a field goal. <laughs> Cost me like two hundred bucks. Uh, we didn't we didn't bet two hundred. No, you know, yeah, but it's, no, it's no, one of those yeah. where you bet like twenty, and yeah. if you hit all eight, yeah. And as a little kid, yeah, I'm like, man, I'm about to be in the money. I've never forgiven Brett Favre yeah, and yeah. the Packers for costing me two hundred bucks. I hate you and your stupid Wrangler commercials, Brett Favre. Yes, yes. Log, log of the week from you, Matt. What you log got? Log of the week for me. I think the Ducks force at least three defensive turnovers this Ooh, week. I I, think I like that, that one. You talk about the creative confusion of Andy Avalos and and see how mixing up coverages has really um, taken advantage of teams so far this year. I think you look back on last year's Cal team and you look back on this year's Cal team, they've improved in a lot of ways, but they haven't improved their decision-making process as an offense. They're going to get in trouble. The Ducks are going to take advantage. I like the Duck defense to have another big day. Well, and Devin Monster's the quarterback. That's if who. it's Chase Garbers, I don't think that's a great pick for you. But with Devin Monster back there, I think that's a terrific pick for you. Yeah, uh, that's a great, great way to look at it. I, I think Oregon's going to force the issue and really emphasize stopping the run game of Cal and try to make them one-dimensional. I mean, we've seen teams try and make Oregon one-dimensional and beat them deep, not because Justin Herbert's incapable; he just doesn't have that deep threat. Mm -hmm. I think. You know, Oregon's going to do that to Cal more so because they think Devin Monster's incapable more than anything else. And I, I think it's a great game plan. I think a guy like Javon Holland, and then and then you got to pick: Am I, are we going to throw it at Lenore or Graham? That's the other angle to me. Yeah, is we've had the Javon Holland game. Yep. We've had the Kayvon Thibodeau Mace Funa game. Yep. We've had the Troy Die game. We haven't had the Graham Lenore game yet. Right. And those guys have one every year. I, I think back to two years ago where they lost this game, but Jim Levitt used him in press coverage against Wazoo and they shut him down for one half. Yeah. Or I think about the Washington game last year where Lenore gets the pick and they look great. Maybe this is the game where those duck corners really thrive. Yeah. No, I think so. You're going to have to pick which one you want to throw at. And really, whichever one 
has Holland on their side, you're just asking for trouble if you throw that side. No doubt. No no discredit to Nick Pickett or Brady Breeze, but let's he's got a great Ed Reed impersonation. Yeah, let, let's face it. So probably a good good opportunity for for Troy Dyer, somebody to drop back in coverage every now and then too. Maybe snag a you know like a short under route or something. Right. But uh, I like that. So that leads us to next. Uh, you know your player of the game, your pick for player of the game. I will let you go first since I went first on the last one. Who's your guy? Okay, I am going to go out on a limb here. I just have loved what I've seen from him. I I was surprised by his impact so early in the season, uh, watching him fly all over the field after the Stanford game. I like Kayvon Thibodeau. Oh, you think? Oh, he's gonna be. He's gonna get after Monster stud position, man. Yeah, it's yeah. it's not just the pass rush. Right. It's seeing him drop back in coverage. Yeah. He might get a pick. He yeah. might get a fumble. There's a lot that he can do out there. So it's Tib. You got Tibbs. I like it. True freshman, and you know. So I'll give you mine. I Here's what I want to do. Here's who I want to say in my heart of hearts, and I, but I'm not – I want to say Micah Pittman. I want Ooh. to say Micah Pittman in my heart of hearts. I really do. Ooh. I, there's only one thing that limits me from saying Micah Pittman. It's his first game. It's his first game. He's you got to work him back in slowly but surely. You cannot just go throw him out there for you know 80 snaps coming back from injury. And the reason you can't do that is because Micah Pittman is balls to the wall every play. He has There is no fourth gear. There is no third gear. There's only fifth gear, and it's pegged to the max. So in my heart of hearts, I want to say Micah Pittman, but I am actually going to go with Jacob Breland, which isn't a reach, but I think it's the right pick. I do believe Oregon's going to get the run game going. I think they're going to get it established. I would like to give this game ball to C.J. Verdell because I think – even as frustrating as the run game was against Stanford, he ran his ass off. He ran hard. You can't dispute that. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't effective, but he ran hard. I think he's going to have a good game, and I think Dye's going to get in there too, which will probably take away from his production. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily buy the criticism people have placed on the Ducks' run game. Yeah. Like Because of what you just said, the stats aren't there, but they're still running hard. It's effective. Yeah. You have to respect it still, which is what's opening the game for Jacob Breland and the other receivers to at least not be double covered all day long. That's the thing. Like you see those linebackers just f- fly reacting to play action. Yeah. If the run game was as bad as some people want you to believe, they wouldn't. Be. It wouldn't work like that. Yeah. No. Exactly. But I. I think. I think Cal is going to come up, and, and I think Cal is going to make a con- a conceited effort to try and stop the run game as they should against Oregon. I still think Oregon will overpower them. But I think Jacob Breland is going to be that guy once again sliding down through the slot there that just sneaks by and gets 20, 30 yards, maybe gets a touchdown, whatever the case might be. You know, he's going to end up with a with a, a 75-yard, you know, touchdown kind of night. I think it's going to be his couple big plays that really propels this offense in the end. Again, Oregon's going to get back to running the football, but Jacob Breland is going to be that stretch guy. My heart of hearts, I want to say it's Micah Pittman, but I'm just going to wait. I, I feel like if I do that, everybody's going to take it and go way too far one direction. So I'll, I'll <laughs> save my I have a question about that, but I'll save it off air because I don't want you to burn anything. Um, wrapping up. Yes. I think Ducks win by double digits. What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think as much as Cal wanted, wants to do what Stanford did, which is limit, you know, try and hold on to the ball and, and limit possessions, and I know they'll try and do some of that. I just, you know, they, they just don't have the horses that Stanford does. They don't have the physicality. And, um, I mean, Oregon's got a, a hell of a defense that's going to feast on Devin Monster in the end. It's going to snowball, and it's going to get, you know, Oregon's going to end up getting up by, you know, 18 to 21 in a hurry. 
maybe by the first half, and after that, it's just they're not looking back. It'll be a beautiful day for football in Eugene. Uh, Want to thank Dane Brugler from the Athletic. He gave us some great insights uh, with regards to the NFL draft and some ducks potential there on draft night coming up this spring also want to thank Hidla Day from yeah. addicted to quack yep. he's got a great piece out at addicted to quack.com check it out and just enjoy the the geekdom that is the <laughs> defensive film breakdown on Andy Avalos his first year at Oregon uh, you can listen to scoop duck apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher right Yep. Uh, Spotify, yep. I think, yep. uh, and scoopduck.com is always. Yeah, people keep coming up with all these different. Here's the deal. If from my end, you go and look at iTunes has like the market share, like 90% of all podcast listening. I mean, so you can come up with all these other ones that you listen to, and that's great. I don't, you know, we'll get it on there. But at the end of the day, as long as we're on iTunes, you know, right now we're getting the max exposure. But if you've got one you listen to and we're not on there, let, let me know. know. Let me know. Yeah. We'll get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Leave a comment at Scoop Duck. I know Justin obviously runs a site. He reads them. I read them. And we try to make this great for you. Hope we do a good job. And thank you for listening, everybody. 